Hey everyone, welcome to another episode of Off the Pulpit. I'm Eugene. I'm Jason. I'm Thomas. We're three pastors and three friends conversing on life, culture, and church off the pulpit. Really glad and excited to talk to you. I think this will be the last episode of this year, but really excited to come to you. We're going to talk about vocation and calling. We thought that'd be a good way to round out the year. But before we do that, I totally forgot to put up a mailbag. But we do have some leftover mailbag questions we never got to. So I don't know if I answered some of these or not with you guys, but you you guys chime in if we did. One of the questions we got that I forgot to ask us, I might have, I don't know, correct me if I'm wrong. Um, do any of you guys have one particular favorite Korean drama that you watch? Did we answer this? No, right? Okay. I don't think so. Yeah. Well, okay. Do, do you guys watch or do we watch Korean dramas at all? I don't, I don't I'm, actually, I'm actually curious because I have no idea. I've watched like three which three? This will be crucial to understanding Tom. Reply, 1988, E21 class, and then this old school one, uh, Fall Story. It's oh, like back nice. in the 90s. What, what yes. was your favorite out of those three? Oh, Reply. That was oh, okay. awesome. Nice, nice. Jason, Dude, Tom feel- took my answer because that's number oh, yeah? one reply? for me. Oh. 1988. 1988. Nice. I started the other replies too, but nothing nothing beats 1988. Um, oh, that's I'm also a, I also watched Hospital Playlist, which I liked too. Oh yeah, I heard that was really good. Yeah, they both have that. I think it's by the same. Uh, I think they're by the same person. They both kind of have that feel good. Wait, quality. is Hospital Playlist like a musical at the same time? I'm always confused. Uh, well, they're they're doctors who happen to be in a band together. So every oh. every episode. You know they'll play a song. Man, that's so Korean. Um, I don't really watch Korean dramas like Tom. I watched Ito One Class recently. I that was fun. The only drama that sticks out is uh, do you guys remember Boys Over Flower? This is like really old. Oh like, yeah, I, yeah. Oh, okay, but Jason knows. That's I don't even know if that's my Korea, my favorite show, but I enjoyed that w- in high school when I watched that. I don't know if that counts, but yeah, that's uh that's our Korean drama intake. Not too much, so I hope that's helpful. Um. Another question we got was, what is your all-time favorite, and just one, just one book um, outside of the Bible? So that's a hard question to ask all of us, but yeah, whoever wants to go. I mean, this seems really cliche, but Mere Christianity was a really important book um, in my life and for my faith. Mm. Um, Yeah, and that was like my um, introduction to C.S. Lewis, um, and so that obviously opened the door uh, for for his entire collection. But that was a really important one. Nice, Tom. You took mine. Lewis, was, oh. he was so important. Although I liked Four Loves like so much. The Four yeah, Loves was, was amazing. Um, and I remember the book that had a huge impact on me was actually uh, Catcher in the Rye. Oh, nice. Back when I was in high school, like that was That's like the first one. book that just like spoke to me. Mm. Oh man, Tom! I didn't. That's like a. I wouldn't have expected that. But Tom, Tom's an English teacher, so he's got all the, all yeah, those cards true. to play. So. Um, yeah, I think for me, I mean, it's Christian, so it's a little bit cop out, but uh, I think. Uh, Tim Keller's book, The King's Cross. What is it called now? I forget, he got sued, so he had to change the name. Jesus but, the uh, King. Yes, but um, his basically, I think it's just his anthology of his sermons on the Gospel of Mark. Um, but I actually, I really think that book was the first book that got me to understand the gospel on my own terms, or not my, my own terms, but just it finally clicked reading that book. So that book always has like a special place in my heart. 
So hope that's helpful to know from all three of us. A um, couple of the questions. One question we got was, I this is interesting, very, very specific questions on charismatic gifting and in charismatic churches and cessationist churches. Um, I feel like churches that are not charismatic, and I think they were talking about not practicing healing, prophetic prayers, inter- interpretation of the tongues, whatever it may be. The churches, uh, churches that are not charismatic aren't taking Paul and the scriptures literally because it commands us to do so, and we're allowing cultural norms of not being weird guide our church cultures. What are your guys' thoughts? So, I, yeah, I'm interested because I think all three of us, we're, we don't lean charismatic, I, but at the same time, I don't think we lean cessationist. I've heard this argument a lot from my charismatic friends, but I'd be curious to hear just your guys' response to that. What he said, or she said, it's because Paul commands us to do it? Yes, I think they're just taking, like, oh, in Corinthians, it's like, oh, we're, you know, the giftings include tongues and all that, so why don't we do them more regularly in, in the big C church? I'd probably have to talk to that person more, like, to, like what gifts are you talking about? Because mm. there's nowhere in Corinthians that says you should speak in tongues in public worship. It's the opposite. And so what are you talking, which gifts are you talking about? Prophecy, you can sure. make an argument. And then we have to talk sure. about, well, what is prophecy? So you have that. But I, I'd be curious, like, what they mean. Um, is it to practice spiritual gifts? Yes, for sure. But, what you know, that's probably not what they mean, like hospitality or welcoming. Is it the miraculous gifts? Because Paul commands that. Now, again, I'd be curious, like, well, let's sit down and look at First Corinthians 12 to 14. Where does Paul command that? Like, let's talk about that. So that there are probably a little more nuance that's needed in that question. Mm. Yeah, I agree. And um, I think it's dangerous anytime you talk about literally and non-literally because I think we all, um, I don't think anyone takes every single thing literally. Well, um, some, some do. Uh, I, I guess some do. <laughs> some, some do. <laughs> Just leave it at that. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I do think, you know, um, I think depending on which tribe you're in, uh, certain things you will chalk up to cultural context um, and some things you'll, um, you know, you will argue that is normative even now. And yeah. so I agree. I, I would love to just have a deeper conversation. With sure. Yeah. I, I guess the consensus answer is just let's parse the text more carefully. And I think that's that's a well-rounded answer for any of these questions. Um Lastly, was we actually got a couple, and they're all kind of just jumbled into one question. Um, you know, as pastors, and especially for all three of us, kind of being in different stages, and and especially for Tom and Jason becoming a lead pastor and taking steps to get there, what would your advice be for anyone thinking about going into pastoral ministry? One straight from my experience that I feel uh, is underrated is having a few years under your belt of not doing church ministry, but working like in a secular vocation. I think when you go from college straight to seminary and straight to the pastorate, uh, not not that anything's wrong with that, but it will take a longer time to really understand your congregation because you're going to tell them to do things and call them to do things without understanding the idea of like the pressures they go through with work and the business that's there. And I don't think just having a job at a tutoring center accounts for that or makes up for it because it's different having a job while you're at seminary versus having a career. And so I know for me, like I, when I worked as an educator, that was like my career with no pastoral ministry in, in sight at all. 
And I think that really helped shape me to understand like, oh, this is what people go through. And I feel like that was really beneficial for me. And so that's one advice I'll actually give is for anybody pursuing pastoral ministry, maybe take a gap year to just like work and to see like what life is like for your congregation. And that might benefit you before you start seminary or before you start uh, pastoral ministry calling. That's I good. definitely agree, especially now, I would say, because we're living in a post-Christian context, um, mm. you know, and I think, you know, there is no no longer a cultural pull to go to church and take what your pastor has to say, like, seriously, simply because uh, he or she's a pastor, you know, and so I do think um, it gives you um, a significant amount of, like, you, you're, you're already working uphill, and I think um, having that experience, you know, in the marketplace um, is extremely important. Um, I remember when I was thinking about going into ministry, I talked to a mentor of mine, and he said, if you can think of anything else that you could see yourself doing, do that. Because, <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, I, I, I think we... I will say, you know, just like parenthood, when I asked a lot of people, like, tell me what parenthood is like, and everyone always said, it's really hard to describe. You just have to become a parent to experience it, but it's it's just really difficult. Um, I feel the same way about ministry. You sure. know, I think um, it's so much uh, more than um, a job description. You know, it really is an all-encompassing can be an all-consuming type of profession and so um, I would definitely I would definitely really pray about it discern it with community um, don't take that decision lightly Jason you doing okay man <laughs> <laughs> no 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 I, I think Jason's advice as well he did I do think there is a glamour and quote-unquote sex- sexiness with ministry in some circles although i i do think that's faded and i don't know i feel like now i there's a truth to what jason's saying but i'm just like dude you want to go into ministry please do it because i don't know anyone younger going into ministry too um the only thing i would add i agree i i actually i did tom's fally uh fallacy and i i actually yeah i went to seminary straight out of college and i I agree with tom too because there are things that um i totally had to learn because it's and this is the thing from that I thought that seminary was, oh, this is what ministry will be like. And and I'm not anti-institution. I'm not anti-seminary. But a high-tower academic, you know, institution, which seminary often is, it'll theologically equip you. But on a ground level, oftentimes it has totally missed the mark of my realities that I'm facing, especially as in an Asian-American congregation. So my advice would be find a church that will invest in you and give you an opportunity to practice those skills and giftings you're learning. Because if not, you'll get frustrated when you're in seminary. You'll start feeling very prideful when you're in Bible studies. There's always a seminary store and you know that like they want to correct every sermon that they listen to and, and all that. And I feel like that comes from not being on the ground at a church. So I, I would advise just make sure you have a church that kind of can really invest in you. It takes, really it takes about two to three years, I think, for a, a seminarian to stop using Greek languages in their <laughs> sermons and things yes. like that. Yeah, you got to shake it off. Yes, yes, yes. If anyone mentions this is what it means in the original Hebrew or Greek, it's 
probably Telltale signed their seminary student. <laughs> but we love we love all our seminary students because we were we were all there, so we feel you. So we hope that's helpful. If anyone's thinking about going to ministry, we yeah, we'd encourage it in the end of the day, but be careful with what it brings. So hope that's helpful. But I think it's a really good segue, um, even from what Tom was mentioning uh, about vocation, career, even calling. About this is you know, in all honesty, the majority of our listeners they're probably not pastors; they're working nine to five. So their experience with living out the practical aspects of their faith are so different than I think all three of us and any other pastor. So I want to take some time to really talk about that. Um, vocation, calling, work, what does that mean to do as a Christian? Because I don't know about you guys, but I've rarely found helpful resources on work uh, and faith intersecting. I found very cliche resources but nothing kind of practical so i'm hoping not that we can do that but just trying to peeling back some layers too and i guess the first question to kind of like kick it off with this idea of like talking about work for you guys in the best way you can describe it to you know just a regular church member what is the theological basis for work in scripture because i i do wonder if a lot of our members or listeners or just christians know that like is work just a thing that you do or is there things in scripture related to this is what work really is. So, yeah, kicking off, anyone can answer that first. Yeah, very basic. Genesis is the foundation where you look at, you know, not just uh, the idea of Adam and Eve being fruitful and multiplying, and you think of families and households and populating the earth, but you also think of the cultural mandate, which is to go have dominion and subdue the earth. And so they were, they were tilling the garden. They were working the garden. Even though it was Eden, they were still called to work. And I think all of us gets a taste of, oh, work, even though it's broken and we experienced uh, uh, the fallenness of it, there's actually goodness in work. And so work was there in Eden. Um, I think work is going to continue to be there even, even when Eden and heaven comes down to earth. And so there is a Genesis cultural mandate that calls all of us uh, to work. And that's kind of the mm-hmm. foundation of what, to me, when I tell people this is what work is. Mm-hmm. Anything else? So Jason's nodding. So Tom, as usual, very good theological answer for that. And I guess to press it, maybe Tom, for you specifically, and Jason, you can, you can add on. You know, that, I think that's a good mandate, and it, the cultural mandate's helpful, but why should we work? Like, like what is the importance of the cultural mandate? Because we can, I think we can say that, um, but, like, like, what does it mean? Like, what's the importance of work according to Scripture for us? I mean, at least two quick things. One is you're Im- you're imaging the creator. He hmm. worked in the se- in the six days and then rested. And so when yeah. we create and we cultivate and we work, we're imitating who God is. And since sin came into the world, now our work not only is it imitating our creator, but it's also serving our neighbor. It's doing good for them. And so you kind of have those two poles that are there that cause you to work. And any type of work is actually, or not any type of work, but work in general is good yes. work because again you're imaging god and you're serving one another yes yes that's helpful do you think do you think we'll still work in heaven to, to both of you guys jason i think so um i think we would be out of a job in heaven <laughs> um and i guess doctors would be out of a job um, this, po- this but, podcast but will exist this will be <laughs> this, this podcast will still podcast exist. will probably exist yeah hopefully um yeah, I, I mean, every to add on to everything Tom said, which I totally agree with, I also think the cultural mandate gives us 
um, gives humanity agency and responsibility um, because it is this idea that we are um, mm. ruling with God, you know, and we are, you know, God, we are Adam and Eve, when you think about it, are the first kings uh, and queens of creation, you know, and we are, it's this idea that it's not God doing everything, it's God putting humanity in the garden um, and giving humanity responsibility. You know, it's said that um, God gave the responsibility of tending the garden and naming every living creature to yeah. humankind. And so um, it changes the way we look at the things that we do because you realize we're ruling and reigning with God in partnership with him. Yeah. And I guess like to add on to you, that's why I find those that work in creative fields is is almost a direct descendant from the from the cultural mandate because anything creative i think there's a special heart for me as a pastor because what you're doing is you're taking raw elements of the world whatever it is sound as a musician even co like coding is one thing too if you walk into any cafe at silicon valley it looks like the matrix because every every laptop screen is just coding and actually i find that to be awesome because what you're doing is you're doing what god's telling us to do you're taking the raw materials that god's given you and creating something better out of that and i think that's our first calling as human beings before anything that's what genesis tells us so i hope that that kind of encourages you um and, and that's you know hopefully a helpful theological foundation for you guys but and this is kind of the the meat of the episode that i really wanted to kind of sit in i think most of the questions I get about work and vocation, and you guys, I'd love to hear what you guys, uh, your church people say too, but in the Silicon Valley especially, the biggest question I get is like, well, how do I be Christian, quote unquote, at work? Like, does that mean, man, I got to talk about Jesus at every team meeting, uh, during, like, when I'm in the water cooler area, like, when I'm just talking to my coworker, does it mean doing my job well? Like, what does that exactly mean? Like, how do I glorify God in my nine to five? Because I think the theological foundation makes sense on a theoretical framework, but the practical nitty, like just getting to work and how, like, what, what is, what am I going to do? Like, what difference should I do? So I guess a very open-ended questions, but I, I love to hear what you guys think on that question. I can share a personal experience. I remember when I first went into teaching, I kind of had that mentality as well, which is like, how do I become a teacher and a Christian at the same time. Like, what does that look like? Am I going to sure. lead the Christian club on campus? Am I going to have crosses hanging in my classroom? And that's kind of what it means to be a, a Christian. Uh, and maybe that's one way some people do it. Uh, but the, actually the best example I saw was one of my coworkers. She was like the sweetest lady and not just sweet, but when I came into work, I was kind of new and fresh and she would just, without any initiation on my part, messaged me saying, Hey, I heard you're new to our department. Do you need any help with like the lesson plans? And I was like, I do. And she just like gave me everything she had. And I was, it just stood out to me where she was really intentional about that. And I yeah. literally couldn't give her anything. There was only her reaching out to me that helped me that first year. And she would like, you know, every once in a while, she just mentioned how she goes to church and so forth. And I was like, Oh, I think she's like subtly evangelizing to me without knowing that I'm a Christian. But I remember thinking like that made a huge impact, not her sharing that she's going to church or so forth, but her reaching out to me. And also she was a really good teacher. Like she was like teacher of the year several times. And so to me, I really think to be a Christian in the workplace, probably the most meaningful thing to do 
is to be a good and faithful worker. Like your work is faithful. Your work is good. You're on top of things. Like we might have mentioned this before, but I think the worst witness you could be like in college is you're serving as a leader in your Christian club, but you're failing all your classes. Like nobody respects the Christian faith when that takes place. But when you're on top of your classes or you're working really well in your field and you're also being kind to people who are around you and you don't expect anything back from them. To me, I'm like, oh, there's something different about you that's unfortunately rare. And I feel like when they find out you're a Christian and that's kind of like the driving motivation to me, that's one simple way that I experience like, oh, wow, this is a profound person who stood out to me in the midst of all my coworkers. Mm. Yeah, that triggered something like Tim Keller once said at a conference, like if I'm an airplane pilot, what does it mean to be Christian? Like, does it mean to like go on the intercom and say like, hey, before you guys land, Jesus is the reason why we're landing. And he was like, to be a Christian, to be a pilot, is to land the plane, because that's what your calling is. If you don't land the plane, then those people aren't going to even have an opportunity to hear about Jesus. And I actually appreciated what he was saying, because I think what kind of like what to further Tom's comment. I think if your work is really meaningful, and I, we'll get into this of like, well, you know, what kind of work should you be in? But the work that you're doing is glorifying to God, if that makes sense. And there are certain work fields, well, you know. Obviously, pornography, I don't think you can be Christian and a porn actor and actress, whatever it may be. But there's certain, most fields of work, it's bettering the society that God's given us. So I I think, to Tom's point, sometimes just being Christian at work is just doing it really well um, and making sure that, you know, people know that. Because I was that dude in college, as Tom mentioned, like, I'm, as a leader in, you know, this camps ministry, and, like, I never would go to class, and all these, like, freshmen would be like, where's... Where's my small group leader? And I'm like, oh, I'm just knocked out. So I totally agree with that too. But Jason, any any other general comments to that too? Yeah, I mean, I think that question, um, it speaks to a bigger problem. I think that, uh, you know, I, I, I see where there is just this constant desire to create distinctions between secular and sacred. And I think um, just remembering that there is no job that is not spiritual or sacred. Sure. Um, the job in and of itself you don't have to make a job more like spiritual than it already is um you know i think it's very amazing that the first profession that gets mentioned in the bible the the first job that's given to the first human being is gardening right it's manual labor it's blue collar work and i think what you know god is subtly saying there is that all work when done in my name glorifies me and so um, I, I don't know that, yeah, you know, you. I, I went through this as well. Like even when I was pursuing music, there was a part of me that thought, do I have to write explicitly Christian music for it to be glorifying to God? Um, and I don't, I didn't even like CCM. You know, I didn't even like Christian contemporary music. And then, um, you know, my theology began to change. And I realized that anytime you create something beautiful, anytime you um, yeah, create something that connects with other people uh, on a deep emotional level, um, you're doing something glorifying to God. And so I don't think you need to um, spirit- over-spiritualize things um, mm-hmm. because they're already spiritual. Mm-hmm. I like that. Very Jason answer. So I hope, hope that's helpful. We'll, we'll get into the technical nitbits too. One thing I wanted to ask you, and I don't know, this might be different... Um, Actually, I, I feel like Jason will feel this in. It's still Tom, the OC, too. Um, one particular question I get a lot 
related to that question is how do I balance being public with my faith, with the values of a Christian framework, with a Christian ethic, with the gospel, while working in a secular workplace? So meaning a lot of secular workplaces will often promote maybe certain ideas. You know, there's a lot of hot topic issues. LGBTQ is one, right? Um, usually secular workplaces are very left-leaning. Usually they're very dismissive at worst, but ignorant at best about religion in itself, right? How do I balance that line and where should I draw it as a faithful Christian in the workplace? Does it mean in a team meeting, if they're talking about, I don't know, let's just say a diversity day and it's LGBTQ, like, oh, I, I should let people know that I'm Christian or I shouldn't participate because I do get that a lot from a lot of people that work in the Silicon Valley. Um, but I'm, I'm curious to hear what you guys say because I do think it's a tricky question and I think it's a question that all, I think all of our listeners at least should feel, feel the pressures of. But does the question make sense to you guys? But yeah, I'm just curious what you guys think. I do think it takes, I don't, I don't think there's a clear cut answer to that question. I mean, I think it takes a lot of wisdom and discernment. And I think a lot of times, um, and I think in the Bible, you have, um, you can point to a lot of um, examples um, of people choosing to speak out and take a stand. Sure. Um, And I think you can take, you can um, point out just many examples where people um, thought about timing, you know, and um, understood that, you were playing the long game. You know, I think about Jeremiah 29, 7, seek the welfare of the city where I've sent you into exile and pray to the Lord on its behalf or in its welfare, you will find your welfare. Um, and if we really understand ourselves as exiles, you know, um, yeah, like um, I think whatever that means to anyone, um, I don't think it's a clear cut answer. Sure. And but I, having like, I, yeah. But having like an exilic mindset already going into work where you like expect to feel that tension, right? Because there is a difference from being surprised from it, but walking into it knowing I'm in exile in this place. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. No, that's helpful. Yeah. I think um, having one concept I heard is like the straight line and jagged line issues. Like if sure. straight line meaning uh, is, are you doing anything that's clearly contrary to what God calls you to do? So for example, if you're working, cause you to work every single Sunday and you can never gather with the church, that might be something to look at because now it's causing you to not honor the Lord's day and to gather with his people, which is very explicit. So that's something that seems somewhat straight versus another issue is I remember a sister was telling me, Hey, somebody wanted me to, she's like a tattoo artist or she did like tattoos on the side and people wanted her to tattoo like different things that went against her Christian values, like LGBTQ stuff, for example. And she was asking, should I do it? And I could see either way. I'm like, you know, on the one hand, I could see how that could not be good. On the other hand, I could see how that can be a faithful witness. And so what do you do? That's a little bit jagged. And I think a lot of that goes down to Romans 14 about if it's not preceded by faith, if you're not doing it with where it's like not, it's uh, wounding your conscience, for example, then that's probably something you have to really wrestle with versus if it doesn't wound your conscience, then is it preceded by faith? And so there are issues that are clearer than others. And I feel like you have to wrestle with the ones that aren't as clear. No, that's that's helpful. What I'm curious, like, what what do you feel like are the main work questions you guys get in your congregation? Because Tom being from the OC, Jason from the LA, I feel like it'll be it'd be different. But I'm just curious what your church people struggle with or ask questions about regarding their work. Well, the main thing we're getting is how the work scene has shifted. 
like crazy these past two years. It's just a different game. And I feel like everyone at least feels it. Um, but, you know, back when we were working and we were kind of being educated theologically about work, uh, I was always told like, hey, view, view work as this calling, as this thing that you do to glorify God. And it's something that you're going to find not fulfillment in per se, but you're going to really be used by the Lord to bless other people. And I think, you know, Every Good Endeavor by Tim Keller and Work Matters, and those are kind of the books that were there to help us seek dignity in our work. And I think during that time, a lot of people, I'm not sure in your circles, but mine, they went to social work, they became OTs, PTs, educators, because there was meaning in work and it's good work and so forth. These days, they're all leaving. They're all leaving those fields. And uh, one thing that I talk to people about is like the workplace has changed me with Christians even because now work is not about uh, this idea of every good endeavor and fulfilling you, but it's about flexibility. The name of the game is flexibility where you want to just work as little as possible and have the most flexible schedule as possible while making the most money as possible because now they kind of see work as just work. It's no longer this thing that's going to be fulfilling to them in the way they thought. And so it's an interesting paradigm shift that I feel people are experiencing right now. And that's definitely the case in LA as well. Um, I would say a, a vast majority of our congregation members don't even have one job. You have, a, you know, it's a gig economy. So you have a lot of freelancers, sometimes working two different jobs, Uber driving on the side, you know, acting, um, you know, they have a day job, a night job. And so even the idea of finding that one job or career that is fulfilling to you, um, that paradigm is pretty much out the window. And so um, I agree. I think people are just thinking about work differently. Um, and so their relationship even to their work, I, I, I would say like even in college, a question I thought about a lot was like I, I, I got I had a lot of anxiety around finding like that one career path that was going to fulfill me for the rest of my life. And I don't really see that as much that angst as much today. Um, you know, I do I see people still struggling to find fulfillment in the things that they do? Yes. But I don't see them stressing so much about finding the one, you know, in terms of career or job. Yeah, that's interesting. It seems like work's no longer an idol. It's different. I feel like freedom is more of an idol, like traveling abroad, like, you know, that's, it's changed. And I think we've really got to change our, our preaching and teaching. And we'll get into that. Um, that's really interesting to hear. So um, another work-related question, kind of to, to, to pivot. Um, I think a lot of people in our churches are bosses or managers of people too. And usually there's a toxic culture with a lot of these corporate places that we've already talked about abuse and church, but also in work really quickly for you guys, you know, at, as pastors, as lead pastors, lead pastors, especially this might be helpful. Like what are some ethics and principles from the gospel you can bring to be a faithful boss or manager, or just basically someone above someone? Because work dynamics bring that, you know, your friendships usually don't have that in family. It's already been set your whole lives, but in work, it's kind of, kind of, handed to you and some people just don't know what to do so i guess just leadership principles wise anything you would add to be helpful to those in those positions of leadership don't be a douchebag <laughs> just don't be a douche man <laughs> I, I feel like because a lot of us we worked under bosses who were like douches and we thought oh if you i guess to be a leader you have to be just like that guy but you know i've worked for people where i'm like oh you're actually really nice and kind and you don't have to be 
that person. And so power, because you have power, it's like, how do you, you wield that power? Do you, do you uh, instill fear over people or make sure that it's all about performance or do you see them as people? They're not just laborers for you, but you dignify them. I think that's such a challenging thing because on the one hand, you're doing what's best for like your company or your workplace. On the other hand, these guys aren't commodities. They're, they're human beings. They're made in the image of God. And so you want to dignify them, even if it comes at a cost, even if it comes at an extra expense to you. Not to say you have to hurt the company, but mm. I do feel like there are just small ways you can dignify those who are working for you. And that separates them from being just commodities in your company and people who are just you're using and sucking up versus they are made in the Imago Day and you want to treat them well. So to me, that's kind of a big thing that I feel uh, we have a responsibility for for those under us. Yeah. That's helpful. Yeah, and I, you know, now I don't even think that's like strictly a Christian idea. You know, I think humble servant leadership is actually catching on in in the world at large. And you know, I think about Jim Collins's book Good to Great. You know, and he talks about, you know, level five companies, the the companies at the top. Um, you know, the the leadership that he saw time and time again was servant leadership you know, was serving from under, um, it was sacrificial leadership. And so, um, you know, I think not only, you know, yes, I, I agree that sometimes servant leadership can come at a cost and can come at productivity, but I think research is showing now actually on all levels, um, the way Jesus did it actually works, mm. you know? And so, um, yeah. No, that's helpful to hear. I always tell people, I think, I think power is the greatest revealer of who you truly are at your core and what you you, God probably wants you to work on. So I always tell people that, you know, especially in the Silicon Valley, it's crazy. Like, um, so I guess this share some stories like at Apple, for example. So the tech companies, they all have a hierarchy of like what's easiest to work with and what's hardest. And, you know, this is very, I'm not inside that world. So this is my observations. Facebook very chill they're so large like you know um it, it, you can kind of get by but apple amazon and tesla are these three companies that just take your soul so that at, at every you know with apple um you know how they have the keynote that um you know kind of the product launch one of my friends that work at apple the church said every time during a product launch when you go to the bathroom you hear sobbing in the stalls because someone's just got chewed out at a meeting right and it's just like man it's so easy as a boss to turn people into commodities, as Tom mentioned. And it's just a prevalent culture, at least in the tech world. And I think, man, one of the main things maybe God has placed you in that leadership position to do is to reveal, like, what's really at your heart. Like, you say you follow me, but, like, if someone doesn't deliver their their due date for their project, how are you going to react and what does that say about you? I think that's really helpful. And I always see like leadership as a burden, but also a great revealer at the heart. And that's what drives you to change. So I always tell people that, um, and, and I hope that's helpful for anyone in management because I know a lot of listeners are too with that. So quick question related to work. Is it wrong to be or to desire wealth? Because a lot of us, a lot of our listeners, even a lot of us here on this pod, we work often just to get paid. Right, so as a Christian, how do you balance that? Like, is it wrong to want to want to get a salary and all that stuff? Like, what are you what are you guys' thoughts on kind of traversing the salary world as a Christian? 
Well, it's not wrong to be rich. Abraham was rich. Job was rich. David mm. was rich. And so for sure being wealthy, there's nothing wrong with that. The desire to be wealthy, that's an interesting question. Because then, you know, is that synonymous mm, with greed? Uh, to be To be greedy is wrong. But to desire wealth, I guess it depends. Like if it just means to make money, yeah. I think there's nothing wrong with that because sure. what are you going to use with that money? That's going to be something that probably depends on what your intentions are. Yeah. So to me, nothing's wrong with being wealthy. Uh, if there is something wrong to be greedy, but to desire to be wealthy, that probably depends on why you want to be wealthy. Hey, that, that one's a tricky one. Um, I don't know anyone who wouldn't take a little more money. <laughs> sure. Sure. Um, myself included. So, <laughs> are you listening, um, citizens? Citizens, are you paying attention? <laughs> are you listening? <laughs> no, no, no. This I, podcast has one goal. Just want to throw throw this out I'm there. Just kidding. Church takes care. Of, my church takes care of me. So, yeah. Um, but um, you know, yeah, and I and I think that even that desire to be wealthy, um, that's connected. There's actually deeper roots than that. You know, I think you can ask a person why they want to be wealthy, sure. and a lot of times hmm. that's connected to um, some of their core idols. For some, it's security, comfort. You know, for some, they believe wealth is their ticket to status or approval or power. And so, um, I think if you kind of examine that desire for wealth, usually you'll find whether or not that desire is rooted in something good or, or something that actually pulls you away from God and something that the gospel needs to speak to. Mm. Um, yeah, I mean, I will say that, you know, I, I I agree. Being wealthy in and of itself isn't bad, but the Bible does warn um, about the dangers of money and wealth and how that does have the ability to blind you to a lot of things, to blind you to your need. Um, blind, you know, wealth allows you to hide uh, for longer periods of time. Hmm. You know, you can cover quite a bit, you know, when you have money. Yeah. Um, but at some point, it, you know, everything will expose itself. I think that's really, I've never heard that before. Wealth does hide a lot of your flaws well. It's like, you know, in the movie Parasite, where it's like, someone said like, oh, they're so nice. Well, I think it was a mom that was like, they're not nice. They're just rich. And I was like, man, that's <laughs> that was, so, that so good. That's so, so good. true. That's so, that was that's so true. It's so true. Yeah, yeah. yeah. No, I th- I think that's really helpful um, for both. I, th- for that. I think mm-hmm. I think it's really interesting in the Gospel of Mark that the the two stories that are juxtaposed next to each other are the rich man, um, the rich young ruler, and then Jesus um, uh, telling his disciples, "Let the children come to me." You know, you have this juxtaposition between um, children who are powerless, who have nothing, yeah. and all they have is need. And Jesus says, you know, theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Sure. Um, and then right after that, you have this rich young ruler who has everything, sure. but who obviously lacks the most important. Yes. Thing. And so yes. wealth blinds you. Yeah. That, that's helpful here. That was just a random question I had that I always wanted to ask. But um, yeah, so with that, I guess, you know, everyone has their own habits for their work too. I mean, you know, it, look, it looks different from an office job to a remote job, to maybe more of a blue collar job. But I guess for you guys, two questions I want to ask you first is this, you know, we all know work can be an idol and we, you know, maybe it's changed, but at the core that that's still true kind of for a lot of our churches. 
What are the harmful and damaging habits you've seen from unhealthy or even idolatrous work-life balances? Like, what are certain, like, flags kind of just, like, like, hey, if this happens, you should really watch out for your soul because that could mean you're in an idolatrous relationship with work or you have a very unhealthy work-life balance with work and family and your personal life, whatever it may be. Um, So curious to hear your guys' answers to that. Dude, to me, it's super clear. You don't honor Sabbath. Ooh. Yeah. When you Go don't on. honor Sabbath and you're working, super clear that work has become an idol. Mm. And I know that because that was me. When I was working, especially in my you know, in the very beginning of my education career, you don't want to just be an educator, you want to be the best educator. You have to like establish yourself. And so literally at, when I went to I would still go to church, but after church I'd go straight home, skip whatever's going on post church, and I'd just work on my lesson plan to make it a little bit better. Sure. Sure. And so to me, that was like this obsession and it didn't make me happier, nor did it make me that much of a better worker. It just made me more anxious. And I remember catching myself where it was doing something to my soul, where something mm. felt weird and empty, even though I was still worshiping, like I was still going to church. But again, I wasn't practicing Sabbath, which is literally you just rest and you yes. take off work for that whole day. And you trust that God's going to do what he's going to do with your work, given the days that you poured into it just worship him and that's your act of trusting the lord i feel like that's just a huge red flag if you're skipping sabbath all the time or it's a regular thing work has clearly become an idol and that's something to really check so that mm-hmm. was a big one for me and that's a big one that i see for people mm. no, that's good jason any, anything you've seen kind of just in la and being in in that field um i mean what tom said I mean, to the T, mm. you know, I mean, and, and we live in a society that makes it very easy not to take a break sure. and not to take a Sabbath. You know, you technology makes it easy to work around the clock. Um, busyness is seen as a virtue. You know, if you have a full calendar and you're doing a lot of things, you seem more important. It's just it's it's natural. And so um, there's a humility that comes with rest. Um, I also think maybe for those who are managers or bosses and supervisors, um, how willing you are to relinquish control um, and delegate others, that's also a huge litmus test to whether or not your work has become an idol. Yeah. Um, because you know you know that work has become an idol when um, everything becomes about you, mm. you know, about increasing your status or your worth to your company or your worth to an organization. Um, and you know, I, I often like a common theme is, you know, you know, someone really idolizes their work or idolizes their, their career or place at work when they just cannot let go of things, you know? Um, yeah. Yeah. No, that, that, that's really helpful. Um, I, I agree too. I mean, there's, I, I think those two things were actually things I would say, like, I think your involvement with the church really speaks volumes to your health and your workplace. Cause it's not like, you know, if you're not at church, especially in the Bay area, I know where you're at then you're, you're at work. There's really no other place to be. Um, so it's not just Sabbath too, but just a life of the church. Like Tom mentioned, um, just even community groups. And yeah, I, I think that's such a good litmus test to just kind of where you're at and where you, where your community's at. Cause the community you surround yourself with will form your soul and form your heart. Right. And, and the reason we do community groups is not because like, at least this is my personal opinion. 
I don't I don't think like to be honest, like there's not much wisdom I gain from community groups. There's a lot of heresy that I heard in community groups and all that stuff. Um shout out to Dean's community group. <laughs> shout out. But I think just being with Christians over and over and over and over again on a weekly basis, even when you don't want to be there, that forms your heart. And, you know, if you're at work nine to five, Monday to Friday, you need that because without that, your boss, your company values, all that stuff, that's going to form your heart because your heart's always being formed. So I always kind of like including Sabbath and all the stuff Jason mentioned, just like your church life, like you need that. It's not to make you holy. It's just to keep you alive uh, in your workplace, to be honest. So on the flip side, what are then helpful habits? And, and, you know, we can talk about Sabbath, Tom, to kind of flush it out more. I think that's helpful to, like, what does that really look like? Um, but, yeah, other helpful habits, too. But maybe we can start with Sabbath. Like, like to you, Tom, I think Christians hear the word Sabbath a lot. And I think they think, oh, yeah, just Sunday. Go to church mm-hmm. on Sunday. That's, mm-hmm. that's Sabbath. Mm-hmm. But for you, what is the full depth of Sabbath? Like, what mm-hmm. does it entail for the believer? It's literally 24 hours where you don't touch your work. Mm. 24 hours. Mm. You don't touch it. Uh, you you tr- you trust that the six days you poured into it, that's enough. And we, you know, one thing I had to wrestle with a lot was um, when I realized I think that's what it means to to Sabbath to rest, where I don't touch my work. Uh, I realized what that meant was I probably would not be as good of a teacher as I could be. Like if if the potential that I had as a teacher or an educator was a ten, I could probably at max be like an eight or nine. Mm. But that also mm. made me realize, wait, it's the goal of life for me to be the greatest educator I can be. And I think that's when you make an idolatry of work. That's not the goal of life. It, you should be as good as you can be, but as good as I can be, meaning as good as I can be with my limits. Mm. But it's the goal of my life to be like this educator and that's the pure purpose of what I'm doing. I don't, I'm not sure if that's really what God created you to do. Yeah. And I had to let that go and be okay with it. So sometimes I would see my coworkers where they're pouring in like ungodly hours into like their workplace and they're producing good work. But to me, I'm like, you know, that's the that's short-term benefits that you're going to get, but there's so much more to life than just your job. And I, I think when you're starting your career, you kind of don't have sight of that because you're trying to establish yourself. And so to me, just resting in the fact that, you know, God's going to make me the best educator that I can be given the limits that God has placed upon my life because my soul is more important than my production. Yeah. And I think that's kind of what really saved my soul to make sure that I was having that proper rhythm. So, yeah, to me, just... 24 hours you just don't touch it it's not just going to church even when i come back from church and have time i don't touch it Uh, i'll watch netflix or i'll hang out with my friends because i'm choosing this to be set apart to not work on the stuff that i'm obsessed about Hmm. no i think that's really good i think rich fiotis mentions this in his book deeply formed life sabbath is not there to help you become a better worker because i think that's what often rests is seen like, and that's what companies do. They they send you on vacation thinking you will come back a better worker, but as Tom mentioned, I think the the truth of Sabbath is not to make you a better worker, but to remind you of who you are. And I guess because it's Christmas too, like I've realized, and I just preached on this, the incarnation is so interesting to me because it's almost a we try to reverse the incarnation all the time. We try to take our finite selves and become infinite. That's what I think we're trying to do with work and trying to become gods ultimately in our workplaces right with the achievements that we hold but it's so interesting that on christmas it's a reminder that an infinite perfectly human a triune god not human but triune god became finite like what does that speak to its followers of what it's supposed to mean 
I, I don't know because I think like we try so hard to do that. So I think Sabbath is extremely helpful as a habit. And again, as Tom mentioned, it's not just church. It's a complete 24-hour rest to stop. It's not to help you charge up for work. It's not that. It's to remind you of who you are. So yeah. Any Anything else to add on Sabbath too, Jason, for you? No, I mean, we know when I think about Sabbath, I think depending on where you are, you know, I um, I remember reading a, a paradigm of Sabbath that was like ceasing, resting, embracing, and feasting. Hmm. Um, and it was, um, I think depending on where you are, um, you need something else. You know, I think for some people, literally, they just need to stop, like to cease work. Yeah. Um, you know, and then, I, but then I think, for some, you know, they're in a place where like, yeah, maybe they, they've stopped, but then the thing that they're f- filling it with is not necessarily good or helpful sure. um, or restorative or renewing for their soul. And maybe they need, yeah, as, as Tom said, they need time with people. You know, maybe they need to use that time to invest in relationships, to enjoy, you know, what God has given you, to enjoy his creation, whatever that may be. And I think it's different for every person. Um but I think kind of figuring out where you are, um, I think, is really helpful. Hmm. I'm, I'll steal that when I ever give a seminar on Sabbath. So thank you, Jason. But um, yeah, outside of Sabbath, any other habits or just kind of rhythms that you've seen from just people that have a healthy work-life balance as Christians? Because I do think it's just helpful to flush out for our listeners, too. You know, one thing, and this is, I struggle with this, and I think people in general are struggling with this right now because so much of work has come into the home. But I mean, like um, learning how to be fully present when you're at work, but then being fully present when you're at home. Sure, sure. And that's extremely difficult, you know. And um, I remember, you know, um, a one a pastor that, uh, you know, used to mentor me, like, because of his, um, his both he and his wife worked full time, and they had to figure out a system in which, and it was kind of like odd hours in the day. It wasn't like your typical nine to five, and then you know you come home. So like they kind of had blocks of time, and just you know he was just talking to me about learning how to, like if eight to twelve was like work time, being fully present there. But let's say, you know, he had to pick up the kids at two and he had the kids, you know, by himself from two to six. Two to six, he was like, I'm fully present for my kids. I'm not thinking about work. I'm not, you know, um, looking at my phone, sending emails. Um, And then he would work then a a second block from like seven to 11 or something like that, you know, but he, he would really keep each of those blocks sacred to what they were for. Mm. And I thought that was really helpful. Mm. I got to, I should start doing that too. I, I think that's helpful because it helps you. Because if usually when you bring your work home, that means you were just like fooling off at work too. Like you were just watching YouTube <laughs> videos and like, you know, you're watching soccer real quick. I mean, this is just personal examples. So I think it's a good reminder. Like it forces you to work at work and keep it there and not bring that in. Because oftentimes we play at work more than anything. Um, and, and we worship work and, and all that stuff. So, but yeah, that's helpful to hear. Yeah. So I hope that's helpful. Some closing thoughts too. um, some closing questions I wanted to ask you guys, is there such thing as a calling, um, for you guys? That's a big, 
I, I feel like it's kind of changed, but it was a millennial hot term for Christians. Like, oh, find your quote-unquote calling in regards to your vocation with God. Do you feel like that has theological basis? And if so, like, what does that look like practically? Well, I feel like our view of calling, we don't realize how Western and individualized it is. We made it into this super Western individualized thing where this is this destiny that you and you alone have to find and discover. Whereas before, like, dude, yeah, you had a calling and it was very clear. If your father was a farmer, your calling was to be a farmer. <laughs> like, that's just kind of the, the way it is. And yeah. so I do think that there is a calling. I mean, that it's all over the Bible where Paul talks about live as you were called. And so there seems to be something that God's leading you to do. But I feel like our view of what that calling is it's like, man, I feel bad for people because there's so much pressure to like find that thing. And we don't realize how much of that is this individualism that's been shaping us to, and it's not never not meant to be that way. And so to me, um, I do think calling, at least from my personal experience, a lot of it comes from a mixture of things. It comes from a lot of opportunity. Like sometimes callings just happen where you don't even realize that that's gonna be something that God's leading you with the mixture of desire where all of a sudden you desire things that, and things that you never knew you desired. And also a mixture of like affirmation where you actually see like, oh, there's actually something that's good that's being developed. And so to me, calling is not just, I found something I like only, but it's a mixture of like all these different things that God's leading you in life. And so to me, I, yeah, so I do believe in calling. I don't like the way we probably describe calling, at least in the church today. Yes. Yeah, I mean, I totally agree. I mean, I think every Christian has obviously has we all have two callings, right? We have a general calling and then a particular calling. Our general calling, I think, for all of us is to follow Jesus, to love God, love neighbor. Um, you know, and I think that's that's the calling of every Christian. Um, and, the, and then I think, you know, particular calling, again, as we said, that even that idea has morphed, you know, over the years. And depending on so, our social cultural location, we have a different way of looking at it. But I do think one helpful way that I've, um, you know, learned about vocation, um, something I read by Todd Bolsinger, who says that vocation is formed, not found. And I think, you know, a, a, like a lot that. of people treat God's calling or our vocation kind of like we're carrying a metal detector around, like, um, like with our head down, looking for something in the sand. Um, and then I think he says, but it's actually more like taking a stroll on a beach, taking in different stimuli, you know, and putting them together, you know, based on our particular wiring, based on the experiences that we've had, you know, based on the people God has brought into our life. And it's, you know, it's not this like destination that you're looking for, which I think kind of Tom was alluding to. I think a lot of people were like, what is that thing I have to like go out and get? Um, Whereas I think vocation is more like a journey, you know, that, you know, where you're constantly learning about God, about yourself, you're learning how to be the person uh, God has called you to be, you know, you're learning how to use the things God has equipped you with, yeah. how God has wired you, your personality, your experiences um, to do, to love God and love neighbor in a way that only you can. Yeah. You know, no, that's really helpful. Um, were you gonna say something, Tom? Oh, yeah. I, I, I found the whole calling craze like really annoying because it's like, 
we, we thought of it, you know, remember like in U.S. history, like Manifest Destiny, like the West is like, you know, we deserve and justify, like, I think we started treating our vocation like that. Like, I deserve this particular perfect job that I need to get. So I need to just focus on my calling. I knew so many dudes like five years ago that I was like making a living off. Let me help you find your calling. And I was just like, ah, that's, I'm good. Um, and I think that just kind of leads to work obviously being an idol. If if it's something to be found, then you deserve it. And and it's going to bring you fulfillment like treasure that you just found on the beach. But as Jason said, if it's something formed, that's completely different because then you're giving back to what formed you. And that's what a vocation ultimately is in my eyes too. So yeah, I just, I hope we can get, I don't like, it's not biblical. Like I, I don't know anyone in the Bible where calling is meant to be your vocation. You know, it's very different. Like when you make what you do, who you are, you're not going to do anything well and you're going to have no idea who you are. Like, And that's what calling I think has done. So I hope we can get that out of the Christian, like Dave Ramsey, voca- sorry, just Christian vocabulary that we have. Um, but quick, quick question too. Is there any job that a Christian shouldn't do? Like how, how do you, how, is there any, I mean, there's the obvious, like, you know, don't be a drug dealer. I, I don't know. Maybe that's changed. <laughs> if someone came to you and was like, oh, I'm selling medis- medicinal marijuana, or not even medicinal, just recreational marijuana in California. Like how would you respond with that, with that specific type of vocation? I'm curious as a test case. And I do think both of Jason and Tom's answers will be radically different, but that's just a guess. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I was going to say, I I wouldn't mind, you know, Um, you know, I mean, especially because it's, you know, I mean, I think a big question you have to ask very generally is, is what you're doing. um, And I guess we could have wildly differing. Keep going, keep going, keep going. You know, (laughs) is what you're doing for the flourishing of creation oh yeah right for the flourishing of um humanity your neighbors for the earth um i mean that is the cultural mandate right yeah. Take, and i think you mentioned this eugene like taking the raw materials at your disposal yeah. and then using them in a unique way um for the flourishing of creation yeah and so i mean depending on what your definition of flourishing is you know, you're, it gives you a lot of. You're you're, you're you're not flourishing. You're flying, man. If you're in that <laughs> line of business, but um, oh, that's that's helpful here, Tom. Like, what would you say if a member came to you and said, like, "Hey, Tom, do you want to invest in my?" Well, we all know they're not going to listen to me anyways. <laughs> so they're going to do what they want. But I rest in the fact that people don't realize this: the average American changes their job or career at least three to four times. Yes. Which is so underrated. I think when you're in college, you think, man, when someone knows they're going to be a doctor and they go to med school and they become a doctor, like that's the norm. That's actually the the rarity that happens. Most people, they shift their careers three to four times. And I think because maybe we don't flaunt that, we don't talk about that because that's not something we think we should be proud of. We don't really see it, but that happens. I mean, me alone, I shifted my career three times. And it's like, oh, I hit that norm that, that happened. I never thought I was going to be a pastor. And so I think for a lot of people, it's normal to shift and to realize like, oh, this is a job that's not for me or this is a job that's not good and it's not actually something that I should be doing. And so in that, I kind of rest in knowing that your career does not define you. Your career is definitely impacts you and it's a majority of your life oftentimes, but it's not who you are. 
So to you, like you wouldn't have a membership talk about like someone going to the marijuana business, selling marijuana as a living. Mm, we live in California, so it'd be a different type of conversation, I guess, <laughs> in this state. <laughs> I see. All right, all right, but you'll you'll get out of it. That's what Tom's saying, anyways. Um, <laughs> I mean, if I could add one thing to what what Tom said, though, I I really like you know I think both of you guys referenced this. Yeah, like I think we've made calling uh, a question of what you do mm-hmm. and that just changes so much and and we need to see calling more as how am i using this living breathing body that god has given me sure. you know and because i i think here's the danger of making calling about what you do because then not only does that lead to an idolatry of work but you know like I, 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 I talk to a lot of married couples where they will say their spouse is keeping them from living into their true calling, you know, or like, God, if, if I didn't didn't have these kids <laughs> that were taking up all my time, I would really be able to lean into what I'm called to do. No, what you're called to do is to be a, a husband and a wife, yeah. to be a father, mother, you know, like that is your calling. It's your calling no longer is just what you do for work yes yeah like that changes all the time which is so So. you know again that's why this is such a a a western thing because in more like communal societies and ancient societies you do whatever you got to do to make sure that your family's okay you don't really care because your primary calling is who you're related to versus today the relationships are so it's still meaningful but still feels a lot less compared to uh, what you actually do for a living. And so the calling has so much pressure upon it. So I feel like this is a product of what times that we live in. It's very weird. It's very modern. It's very American. And I think that's not really good for us. So to me, it's uh, it's interesting how calling, even that alone, it has so much loaded cultural baggage to it. Yeah. No, that's helpful. Um, lastly, to end, um, last question I would ask you, what would you advise? You know, there, there's a great piece in the Atlantic how we're living in the Great Resignation. I think four million jobs in a matter of the last six months that people have resigned, and from that, a lot of people are either looking for a new job or just looking for a job um, or a vocation. So, I guess for you guys, for those looking, you know, to to get into a field, like what advice would you give to those looking for a job or to just have a first job or find a vocation that they're quote unquote called from god and again quotations we just talked about it but what advice would you give in in finding a new job or a first job you know one advice i'd give that i've heard this is like from like the movie industry there are so many stories i hear of like hey how did this person get casted in this movie and they would this like actor who became big through like that movie would say oh it's because that director he saw me in this small movie and he noticed me and that led to me being casted for this movie in other words, you know, this is like this small movie production that nobody cares about, but that actor like went all out for it. And, it, you know, directors, you don't know who's going to watch it. And they just caught that. And I remember hearing like, you know, even stand-up comedians, they, they, talk, they talk all the time about it doesn't matter how large the room is, even if it's like 20 people. I treat it like it's my last stand-up because you just don't know what's going to happen. In other words, whatever job you have, go all out for it because you just don't know what that's going to lead to. It doesn't mean like I'm not saying someone's going to notice you in that, but something happens when you're – uh, and there's something very biblical about it. Like when God gives you something that's little, be faithful to it, and then much more will be given unto you. 
And so I feel like whatever job you have, just get a job. That's better than just being at home doing nothing. Find something and do it as best as possible. And you just don't know where God's going to lead you from that job. And you'll be surprised where God leads you and what yeah. happens through that. So that will be my main encouragement. Yeah. That, and what Tom said, I, I'd add on. Uh, there's a great book that I'm going through called uh, Why We Are Restless. And the con- I actually read the conclusion first. And what they conclude is, sorry, it's it really dense. So I was just like, what, what's your point? It was a good point. Their conclusion was a lot of these college students that they're talking to, it's like, should I go to law school? Should I go to dental school? Should I go to med school? Should I do OTPT? I don't know. And their conclusion was we, we love the sexy but hazy might be. And we hate the clear but finite is, meaning that we're so scared to make a decision because it finally closes off all of your options. And their conclusion was, man, you think infinite options give you joy, but it really doesn't. It just paralyzes you. And I think with that, just 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 do something I like, and just choose something. And I know that's, that sounds really easy and, and you know we have jobs, but I think to do that maybe i know a lot of people so this is a pastoring example we're hiring um for a position right now and i know who's hiring or who's applying that wants to use this job as a pit stop to become a lead pastor it's so clear when they send in their applications but it's also clear for those that just like you know what i don't know like if this is it for me but i just kind of want to be fully committed to this position and i hope for christians you do that that even if it's a small pit stop job that you fight every urge to see it that way. And it's just like, you know what? Whatever vocation is smaller, as big it is, I'm just going to try it, and I'm just going to be rooted in it, whatever it looks like. And I think from that, that's what kind of God will allow you to take you to different places. So that, that, that that's my only two cents, too. Yeah, I mean, definitely uh, agree with what both Eugene and Tom said. And, you know, I would just add, you know, don't put so much pressure on yourself. Um, you know, don't feel like, like go, you know, you need to level set your expectations and understand that no job is going to be the silver bullet. That's going to fulfill every longing in your soul. Only Jesus can do that. And I think sometimes we do put a lot of pressure, especially in that first career, or especially when we're in between jobs, usually there's something about the previous job that was like that, that made us extremely discontent or that we didn't like. And we think that the answer is going to be out there in another job. And I think so. I think just going into it, understanding that it's there's going to be something wrong with this job, too. Yeah. You know, the pay might be better, but the coworkers are going to be worse or, you know, or whatnot. And so kind of going into the job, knowing that it's not going to be perfect, um, knowing that it may not be the job that you have for the rest of your life, but, you know, but still an opportunity to learn, to grow, um, to, to be exposed to certain things, um, to find out things about yourself um, and, and the way you work with others, um, to grow in skills that you never thought yeah. and you had, um, I think, to see that as an opportunity. You know? Yeah, and I'll, and I'll wrap it up this way, and it'll be more of a p- encouragement and praise to, to Tom and, and Jason. I'm pretty sure when Tom became an English teacher and Jason was starting off as a musician, they weren't like, the lead pastorate is like where I want to be. But I also, as both friends for both these guys, I know that's what makes them different from other pastors because they started off completely different from where they 
um, are, are now that it brings different skills. So I would just encourage you if you're listening, like Jason said, your first job will n- most likely never be your final vocation unless you go to law school or med school because then you got it because that's a lot of money committed. But that's another story. <laughs> but yeah, just don't put that pressure because I think that first job ultimately will help you even if you don't think it is. Um, so I, I, we hope that that's helpful. I, I know vocation and work is stressful. So we hope this was just a fun episode to kind of just close off the year to talk about that. If you're looking for a new job, good luck, prayers to you. But yeah, with that, um, thanks for listening. Any any last shout outs for you guys as we close the episode? Happy, merry, soon to be Christmas if you do hear this. And, and yeah, even happy new year because we won't see you until next year. But can't believe it's the end of 2021. You, you know, I checked. It's I think it's almost been one and a half years since this pod started, and it's like crazy to think about. But um, but yeah. So thanks for listening. We hope we hope you enjoy this. If you could like, comment, share, subscribe, um, it'd be really helpful for us on any platform that we have. But with that, um, we hope you're blessed, and we hope to see you in our next episode.